But because I made that small shift in thinking, everything in my life has changed since then. Everything else shifted with it. But it was actually just simply reminding myself, stop thinking small numbers. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'd love to introduce our guest, who is someone I admire and uh, who's who's a friend from a little bit from a distance, but we've had shared some time and 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 shared bread and um, and also uh, am totally honored to have him on the show. One of the reasons uh, we are so excited to have Jeff here today is he's going to help us gain uh, more control over businesses and destiny than we've ever had before. Not only that, but he's experienced shifts in his own life and how he got to where he is today, which is quite extraordinary. And I can't wait to talk to him about that. Uh, For more than three decades, uh, Jeffrey has been one of the most sought-after portrait photographers in the United States. His portraits have appeared on The Oprah Show, in People Magazine, O Magazine, and hang at Harvard University and the Norm- Norman Vincent Peale Center. Um, he's He's been self-employed his entire life. He's here today to show you how personal development uh, will help you increase your capacity for success business strategies, and really work. He was also recently a TED speaker. We're going to talk about a little bit about that that ended up on TED.com. I can go on. He's got podcasts and businesses and learnings and all kinds of things. But I'm just, for now, just going to be a little bit quiet and say hello and welcome to the show. Well, I'm thrilled to be here with you. And I'm I'm excited as hell to see where this is going to go. So really excited <laughs> to be here with you, Brian. You know, that's the thing about shifts is uh, they're so different for every single person. And sometimes they happen to us and sometimes we force them to happen depending upon how uh, it shows up for us. Uh, I'm fascinated with I'm fascinated with it as a topic. And I'd love to know what's one thing that felt small at the time, but ended up being a big shift for you. Hmm. I would say, you know... Uh, and actually, and that's such a great way of phrasing it because it was small at the time, but it wound up being the biggest shift I could have made, which was a shift in thinking. So as a photographer, I had a very, it's a very niche business. You know, I, I did a very limited number of photo shoots a year, about 150 a year uh, of very affluent families. And I had a very specific style uh, and, and built a wonderful business on that. And 25 years or so in, uh, I... Actually, on a somewhat of a whim, you know, let's face it, it was 2008. I had a feeling I was going to have extra time in my hands because the economy tanked. So I decided to pursue coach training, and you and I went to the same coach training at CTI. And um, but it really was just a yeah, let me see where this goes. Like it wasn't really a big. I had no plans for it. Just as a personal interest of mine, I had had a coach for seven years prior to that, who was also a CTI coach, and. From that, I was just on fire. I was on fire with the idea that I wanted to be something bigger in the world and offer something bigger and be a speaker uh, starting in the photo industry and maybe write books someday. And But I realized the biggest 
the small shift I had to make at the time was so necessary. And that shift was in thinking big numbers. You know, what I realized as a photographer is that, again, they were small numbers. I only had to photograph 150 people a year, half of which, 75, were easily people I had already photographed because I had a very high retention rate. So there was such a relief in my own small mind and my own small world that I only needed to get... I used literally, Brian used to say this to myself, I only need to get 75 people a year to like me. Right, because the other seventy-five were already—they already liked me. We already worked together. That was my sole goal in life. And living in a small town in Connecticut, thinking all I have to do is get seventy-five people to like me and hire me. Well, guess what? You become a speaker. You become a, a coach. You write books that you want out in the world. You launch a podcast. You suddenly realize that you're not going to get by on seventy-five people a year liking you. So the big shift I had to make was to think about bigger numbers. And when I launched the podcast, I was in a leadership program and uh, it was part of a personal challenge. Somebody said to me, what is the really unbelievably big goal for the podcast? And I had said, you know, coming from my mindset of small numbers, I said, well, if I could get 50,000 people a year to listen to this podcast, that would be huge. Now, that's a that's a big mindset shift going from 150 to 50,000 people a year. The podcast now reaches 30 to 40,000 people a month. I could not have, that number was in this, I couldn't have comprehended that number at the time. But because I made that small shift in thinking, everything in my life has changed since then. Everything else shifted with it. But it was actually well, just simply reminding myself, stop thinking small numbers. And I honestly, I still face it. I still, you know, I, I have a new book coming out. Publer asks me, you know, how many books do you want to sell? What's your goal? I'm like, eh, you know, my previous book sold seven, 8,000 copies. Let's go for 10 to 12,000. He's like, yeah, let's talk 50,000, <laughs> right? You know, because I still forget to give myself big numbers. Oh, see, I love that. I love that you... um you ended up having to both coach yourself and probably I would imagine your coach also helped you through this in, uh, in shooting higher and in looking at something that was maybe a little more astronomical and saying, okay, you know, maybe we need to think bigger, uh, out of small. Um, and, and that's such a great response to that. How do you look at shifts in your life now? Um, how, how do you, how do you approach Something that seems like like your new book or um, or something that that you faced even in the last six months or twelve months that just seemed insurmountable. As I said a moment ago, I, I think especially the mindset around numbers that shift. That's I think are going to be a constant practice, right? Because the the inclination is still there to give small numbers, and it's different. I just want to qualify. It's different to me than a goal, right? Because I actually in the, in the foundation of uh, my new book, The Self-Employed Life, the foundation, uh, foundational concept of it is that you have to grow yourself personally in order to increase the capacity of the success that's waiting for you. Like the success that you, that you can have in your life is already there. I like to look at it as already there. I don't know where, it's just there. And it's waiting for me to increase the capacity of being able to handle it. Either 
you know, handle it literally in, in an efficiency perspective or handle it in that I am developmentally ready to receive it. Because receiving, as we come to find out, is actually pretty hard. <laughs> we think it should be easy, but receiving is hard. Um, so I always come from the bottom up on things. So I always start with personal development. Uh, I, I live by a quote by Jim Rohn. I recite it numerous times in the book, but I absolutely live by this quote by Jim Rohn, which is that your level of success rarely exceeds your level of personal development. So I always turn towards how do I need to grow first, but that will always be, I think when numbers will become an ongoing challenge for me to, to increase that capacity. How I look at shifts overall is, I, I think how it plays with that is, I think, you know, there's a receiving to shifts. And that's what I see now more than, than ever. Like during this pandemic, uh, I had a major shift, I've had several major shifts the most tangible, evident one is is the result. You know, what created the result of the new book was really shifting the audience. You know, I've always thought I was for entrepreneurs, and that's a hell of a good audience, right? I've always thought I was. I was. I wrote my previous book, Lingo for Entrepreneurs, and I've always used the term entrepreneurs. The shift for me was that realizing it's more finite than that. It's not just entrepreneurs; it's self-employed business owners. And again, is it a big shift? Not really, because those two terms, entrepreneur, self-employed, almost interchangeable. So it's not a major shift, but it actually is a really big shift, right? Because self-employed is is a very clear business model. It's a way of being. And 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 Brian, the light bulb for me was when it went off, like. Why shouldn't that be the audience I serve? It's the only thing I've ever known. I've never had a traditional job. I've never received a paycheck. Like, how is it it took me this long to figure that out? You've never received a paycheck. I love that. No, no, I've never. I mean, I and I, I share the story in the book, and it's one of my favorite stories to share is I, I was selling eggs door to door at age 14. And because uh, I lived in the country and we had a lot of eggs. So I figured I could I could make money on this. <laughs> so um and that's it. From that point on, I was... And honestly, I, I think I, I went down the road of being self-employed because I was a super shy kid, a um, lot of insecurities, and I couldn't imagine I was employable. I just couldn't imagine who would hire me. Like I couldn't... you know, At that age and that time in life when people have big thoughts and not for me... Like I just couldn't imagine I was would be worth somebody hiring. So I figured I better figure out how to build a life on my own because I don't think anybody else is ever going to hire me. Wow, wow! And look at you now. <laughs> I guess, but you know, the the root of who we are is still there in a lot of ways, right? We 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 if if we're smart, we listen to our growth, and we don't always. So yeah, I can acknowledge my accomplishments. I can acknowledge what I'm proud of. But, um, you know, the drive is still there. The drive that, that fundamental drive of not just I have to do it all myself because I've had to outgrow that. I think a lot of us in business had to outgrow the belief that you're doing it all yourself. You, you don't, you're not doing it all yourself, but the drive is still there for me that it is my job to my, my, my personal job for myself to, to stretch, to grow constantly. I just don't know any other way of being other than being somebody better tomorrow than I am today. It's just constantly 
an ongoing journey. Yeah, I want. I'd love to know about something that was maybe like totally insurmountable um, in your like the Kilimanjaro, the 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 big mountain that you wanted to climb, and you just you you couldn't see or could see your way forward, but it was a big big deal to cross over to get to the top and plant the flag and say, I did this. What were, what, what does that look like for you? And how did you accomplish that? I will admit to you, it's always one of the hardest, something, anything like that is almost always one of the hardest questions for me to answer. And I'll probably talk it out and come up with an answer for it. But here's why, because, you know, I, I do, I guess I live by a lot of mantras because I'm going to repeat another one that just plays in my head all the time, which is, uh, make a decision and make it right. And because my fundamental belief in that, and that that mantra in my own mind has been in existence as a little kid. And I think my father may have said it, and I don't know, but, um, and my father passed away a long, long time ago, so I can't ask him. But I feel like there's, there's some root to that because it's been with me for so long. So I live my life in a way of I just make a decision and make it right. I don't fret over what I'm going to eat on a menu because I'm going to, I'm going to find my way of enjoying whatever it is. Right. Um, and I live my way that way in business too. Like I'll make a decision on the direction I want to go in. And hey, you know what? If it doesn't work out, I'm okay with that. Like I, I've been asked on a lot of podcasts, people say, well, tell us a failure story. And I'm like, I have such a hard time with that because I can't identify it as a, if you've made a decision and you've done your best to make it right, I have, my brain can't process it as a failure. So, you know, in answer to your question, it kind of fits into that. It's like, okay, what was on? Have I succeeded at everything? Absolutely not. I've tried having online courses. Uh, and that might be the answer, actually, because that, that I can't, and kind of tying into my, my inclination towards small numbers, I have a really hard time launching online assets, be it an online course or something. It is, that feels like an insurmountable mountain for me. And I, I did have an online course that did okay. It was profitable, but not profitable to the extent that I was willing. I had it for about two years and then I, I closed it down because it, it didn't, it was profitable, but not to the toll it was taking. Right. Because I think it, because it felt like such a big uphill climb for me to, to run Facebook ads and imagine, you know, the volume of people that needed to see it. And yeah, my brain just has a really hard time being that expansive in numbers. So that can tend to feel like an insurmountable mountain to me. That and being in leadership and having to do rope course exercises when you're terrified of heights, that was also an insurmountable mountain, but I did it. That I did, that I did. <laughs> Surprise. And for those who are listening, uh, both uh, both he and I attended uh, Coach's Training Institute, now Coactive uh, Leadership Program, which is incredible. And uh, there were some some challenges there, definitely through uh, yeah through the ropes course. And we're not allowed to talk about them too not much. To talk right, about, you know, yeah. So we can't say too much, other than yeah. I said it's an encrypted way. Just some of it, those the the height challenges yeah. scare the living crap out of me because I, I yeah. truly always had identified. And I think it's like a lot of things, like how do you identify? I identified as a fear of heights until I overcame that mountain and realized it's just pure identification. I don't actually fear heights. I just had identified as fearing heights until I broke that. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh... Yeah, we're, we'll leave it at that because it's (laughs) it's so like there's so much there and I hope everyone goes to check that out. Um, You know, back to uh, some of the 
outcomes that you've experienced. You, re- you not recently, but your your TED Talk. Uh, congratulations! Just got on TED.com, um, and I just watched it, and I just thought it was so powerful. Um, where did the content come from? Where did that that essence come from? And and how did you decide and make some shifts to get yourself into TED and tell your story? Yeah, yeah. Just to clarify, it's a TEDx talk that went to. I'm a, I'm one of those people that I'm very careful to. I'm not a TED speaker, right? I don't want to put myself in an unrelated TEDx speaker. So just to clarify, um, which, but thankfully the TEDx talk is now put on the TED.com platform, but I think you're still supposed to call yourself a TEDx speaker and I'm going to. Um, so the idea that the basis of the talk is that others can see more in us than we can see in ourselves. And the idea came from, as it often does, our own internal experiences where particularly because I'm such a self-learner. I like to, I've been reading self-help books since I was a little kid and saving up allowance to buy books by Wayne Dwyer and hiding them because in my family, they would have thought I was weird. So, you know, but I I was always reading self-help. And I realized at some point that we're being misled. We're being misled because this whole journey of self-help has the word self built into it. And somehow we think we're supposed to do it ourselves. But then I, you know, I started realizing that that has to be limited because I can only see myself as far as I can imagine myself. So, you know, there are these expectations that no matter how big you think you expect to be, expectation by pure definition is a predetermined outcome. So I realized that I, you know, especially for somebody like myself, who I feel like I always said was speeding, starting with really raw material. Like I don't think I had a lot going for me with a paralyzing shyness. And um, I always joke that even at three years old, I looked like Forrest Gump because I was born with my legs kind of misshaped and they had to be broken and put in bars and, you know, in a bar connecting my feet. And so I was, I started with pretty raw material <laughs> and, uh, you know, in lower middle-class upbringing, you know, nice family, but lower middle class. And um, so starting with such raw material, I there's just no way I was going to get anywhere big on my own capacity, like on what I could imagine for myself. And I, that's when I started realizing that. And I always had this experience as a kid. As I said earlier, I alluded to the fact I had a pretty low self-esteem. Somehow other people always saw more, more potential in me than I saw in myself. And I was so confused by that as a kid. And of course, as you grow into adulthood, I just realized that's the magic key. The magic key is other people can see more in me than I see in myself. And then as a photographer, I wind up working with the wealthiest people in the, in the country. And I realized they see something in me that, I mean, I knew I was a talented photographer, but I realized even in a, in a practical sense of who you work with in your business, that my customers were so successful that it's like they say, you know, hang out with the, you are the culmination of the five people you hang out with. Another Jim Rohn quote. So I worked with these people that were so elevated in their own development and success that it pulled more out of me. And that became the basis of, of what I called the validation paradox. That the paradox is that we think we're supposed to find our biggest selves in ourselves, but we're inherently limited. That the way to actually become bigger than what we can imagine is to listen to how other people see us and believe them and then stretch into that. And that's really where the context... And I framed it around the fact that 
you know, I came out as a gay man at 44 years old uh, after having been married for 19 years, having three kids, divorcing five years earlier. So the two things weren't connected. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, married to when I, when I came out. Uh, it just took me five years of dating women after I divorced to realize, hmm, no, this isn't right. <laughs> um, but as I framed around, you know, that idea of coming out of a closet and I started the talk by, you know, coming out on stage and said, we all have closets to come out of. Like there's, we all have a way that we can be bigger in the world than we currently are. And we think we're supposed to do it ourselves. But the, actually the way we get out of that closet is allow other people to see us who we are and believe them. In the same way, in a very practical way, and I joke about it in the talk, how, how often someone comes out as gay and everybody around them is like, yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we're just waiting for you to figure it out. You know, because other people see more in us than we see. And sometimes other people see our truth before we can see it. I love how your mom joked about oh that God. with you in your talk and said, is it because you went to New York <laughs> yeah. City? Yeah, that was her first one I took. Because I had moved to New York City a few years before. And uh, so when I you know, called my mom, you know, I went through all this trauma. Like, do I tell her in person? Do I call her on the phone? And, you know, my family's not a touchy-feely family. And so I figured I'm better better off doing this on the phone. And I really did not expect a good reaction. And like I said, my father had died many years earlier. Not To this day, I'm not sure if I ever would have come out if my father was alive because it was just a, would have been a very different family culture. And uh, so I called her up and, you know, I was told by my therapist, like, just say it. Like, don't, I might be, don't be in between because it's not healthy. So I just said, mom, I'm gay. And, and she paused for a moment. She goes, do you think it's because you moved to New York? <laughs> and I was, you know, of course, my first reaction was like, mom, no, it's not because I moved to New York. But then that's, as I say in the talk, the more I thought about it later, it's like, she's not entirely wrong because when I moved to New York, I shared my, an office with a lighting designer who was gay. And I think his entire staff was gay. And I started, you know, New York City was so much more accepted than the country town I grew up in. And I realized, validating my point of the validation paradox, that, you know, I was, there was, they were seeing something in me. And it was much more of an accepted uh, shift that we truly do come out to ourselves first. People ask me all the time, how could you not have known for 44 years? You, you know, people have, you know, wonder, were you lying when you're married? I'm like, no, I've never lied. There's a difference between lying and not being conscious of. I truly wasn't conscious of, talk about a shift, right? And, and yes, that is a, one of the biggest shifts. I remember when, my greatest fear when I came out was that somebody would, because I was, so, I've always been somebody who had a lot of interest. And, when I came out and I was telling people, I was afraid that somebody would say, and ultimately somebody did, who I no longer speak to for this very reason. Um, my greatest fear is somebody would say to me, are you sure this isn't just another fad? This isn't just another thing you're into? And talk about shifts, Brian. I, I mean, I literally looked at him. I said, do you get what's involved? <laughs> right? This is not something you take lightly, right? And, you know... So I said, literally, it just felt like that felt like a really dangerous situation if that is the way that somebody was thinking about the, the shift I had made in my life. Um, but ultimately, my mother wasn't wrong because there was this, there, there was a, we really do come out to ourselves first. And I had to step into the consciousness, which was based on just having certain, you know, it was a moment in life prior to coming out when so much was right. 
except something wasn't, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And when you could look at your life and list everything that's going incredibly well, and there's something nagging at you, and you're just left wondering with that question, what is it? How is it? Everything's in place, everything aligned, something doesn't feel truthful to me. And it was asking myself that question that I ultimately, uh, you know, realized that I was gay. Mm, that is so powerful. Um, and there's so much to unpack there. Uh, and and yeah, welcome time, to my world, Brian. There's a I lot wanna, to unpack. I want to <laughs> <laughs> be conscious of time too. And so I want to close with this. What is the... Um, when you look at all of all of you, when you see this body of work and and your life and everything that you've done, um, what are you most proud of that you've created? You know, I want to answer with the obvious, which are my three kids. You know, I, I am that's that's the obvious and 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 sincere. I mean, how can you not? I actually, I would say, you know, I know other parents think they're the greatest kids. No, I really do. Because <laughs> they're just really good humans. I mean, they're adults now. They're all in their twenties, and I'm amazed at who they are as humans. Like, and you know, you're you're a parent. Like, to like your kids is indescribable because you already love them. But to like them is, and to see the way my kids have responded to the current, the pandemic, and the you know Black Lives Matter movement and the political climate, like to see them respond in their natural way of being has just blown me away. Um, so I, that, that's definitely my most pride, proud, but I have to say at the, at, if I think about, you know, end of life pride, um, I have had this whisper in my, my soul and my gut from a very young age. I can kind of identify somewhere between two and three years old, literally what felt like a whisper to me that it is your job to take this soul on a hell of a journey. And I didn't know what it meant. I couldn't imagine what it meant. But I, with what I know now, with what I've already accomplished, with a lot more to come, I am most proud of that I fulfilled that promise, that I fulfilled that whisper to take this soul on it. And it almost didn't matter if it was if it was a crazy journey, like I became an addict living on the street, or if I did something good with my life, and which I chose to do, I think it almost didn't matter what it was. I just knew I was in charge with this idea of taking this soul on a hell of a journey. And I'm, I'm proud that I did. Mm. Well, thank you for living your best life so that we can all enjoy alongside you. And um, from the outside looking in, I'd, I'd have to say you are living an awesome life. So congratulations and keep going. And I can't wait for your new book to come out. And where can everybody find you? Uh, well, you can find jeffreyshaw.com is my website. It's kind of the home base to everything. Um, I loved interacting on social. So yeah, just go to jeffreyshaw.com. You'll find my social connections, the podcast. Uh, I like to people as you do. I, mean, I love people to interact after listening to the podcast, uh, all that. And I want to thank you for just a really, a very human conversation, you know, uh, because I write business books. I don't always get to have conversations. And, and that to me is an interesting thing in itself. It's like, because to me, they're one and the same. Business is human. Right? I want more human conversations when I'm talking business. Like, this is business. Like, this is all part of what has driven my success. Why do we box them in two different compartments? So, I really appreciate the opportunity to have this really, uh, you know, heartfelt and human conversation. Oh, man. I just got goosebumps. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time. 